0: Now, this message is for fathers and men directly, but it is for women and children indirectly, right? So when we understand this, this is how it seems like all the messages in the Bible are. They're in the New Testament and the letters were written to a specific church, but how they are applied also directly to us. So I got this question. Men, fathers... Are we doing what God wants us to do, or are we doing what we want to do? I would tell you also that uh, I was in uh, Bible study this morning, and Mel taught, and it was an absolute pleasure. It was wonderful. And then I look around and see the other small groups or other Bible study classes going on, and I know each of those are also really, really good. God's blessed people to come in here to preach and teach the Word. And I'm just grateful that it is. So if you're not involved in a small group, if you're not involved in a Bible study, you should be, you need to be, to continue your furtherance with God's Word. So, why don't we do what God wants us to do? I think we deceive ourselves into thinking that it's hard,
1: it's oppressive, it's unfair. You ever ask God why? Why God?
0: Seems unfair, but God is not unfair. God is just, right? I would say this: being a dad and a husband, a man, it seems hard, and trying to do it on our own, it is hard. It's really hard, right? So let's remember what the Bible says. Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty says, "Come to me, all of you who are weary, weary of trying to do it yourself." You're heavy laden because you're trying to do it yourself. It says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. No, it says, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. When we take on a burden, a yoke that God never asks us to take on, it's hard. And the problem is we take that yoke on all the time. We take on things that we think we're supposed to be doing, and God's never asked us to do those things. You know, God's given each of us a responsibility. He's given each of us a a job. That's a burden, but he gives us his yoke, not your yoke, but his yoke. So let's not take off his yoke and replace it with yours. You know, I would tell you, when we do that, that is sin. It's the problem that every man has. Every man wants to take control. Every man wants to lead, and we want to lead in our way. We don't want to submit to God and lead the way that he's asked us to lead. It's pride. We need to get honest with God. Last week, Roman uh, preached and taught about humility. I'm teaching about honesty. If you have that book, what's the name of that book? Seeking Him. Jesus. If you have that workbook, it's really good, right? Go through that. But it is a self-study book, a, self-time for, or a time for self-introspection. It's really, really good. Use that book. Read that book. And so I'm talking about honesty today. Because if we're not going to get honest with God, guess what? We can't even get honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with God because God is purely true. He is pure, right? Okay. Now, do you remember why... that why do you remember what David wanted to do for God? Do you remember? He wanted to build him a temple. And his thoughts and priorities seemed to be really good. At that time, there was a tabernacle. It was a tent, right? And it moved around, and, and David wanted to build this temple for God and make it a permanent home from God. And God said no.
1: Because you have too much blood on your hands. So the question is, where did all that blood come from? David's role was to be a warrior king.
0: That's what God had him to be. That was the yoke that he put upon David. was to be a warrior king. In fact, let's read that. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 17. I'm going to read a lot of this, so bear with me. I would tell you that I can
1: tell you about this, but reading about it out of God's Word is better than me telling you about God's Word. And this
0: is where we get an insight, a glimpse into the
1: the giftedness
0: of David. David at this time when we're going to read he's about 15 years old. He's a he's
1: a boy. And God has a yoke for him that he's to follow. So follow along
0: with me as I read chapter 17 verses 1 through 11. Now I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation and just read along in whatever translation you're reading. So says, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in, the, in Judah and um, Azekah in ephes Demonim, something like that. Saul countered by gathering his troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite, hill, opposite hills with a valley between them. So there was going to be a battle. On one hill is the Israelites. On the other hill is the uh, Philistines. And they're going to look to have a battle in the plain between those two. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings and slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was was as heavy and thick as a weaver's uh, beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, plus an armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a huge shield. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you, and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me the man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, I would tell you, the Jews... We're not a big, a tall, a broad population. This is kind of like, what was that great big wrestler? Something the Giant. Andre the Giant. See, I knew you guys didn't know him. Because you're a biblical group. Andre the Giant versus the Umpalumps, right? I mean, this is how it was going to be. And they're like, oh, I ain't going to go up there. You're going to go fight him. I'm not going to go fight him. Uh, This Philistine was an evil man representing an evil country. And he defied God and defied God's army. He had no fear of God. The problem is the Jews didn't have any faith in God. They were looking at this Philistine and saying, I don't know what you're going to do, but I ain't going out there. So they were at an impasse because they wouldn't fight. Now in these next few verses, David's dad, Jesse, sent a care package with David to his brothers who were part of the Israelite army. And he said, "Give, give this care package to your brothers and then also give in their leaders a care package also. So let's resume and pick it back up in verse 23. And it says, as he was talking with them, meaning David was talking to these Israelites, he saw Goliath, the champion from Gath, come from the Philistine ranks, shouting his challenge to the army of Israel. Soon, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away In The Bible also says, I do not give you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of what?
1: Power and love. Have you seen the giant, the men were asking? He comes out each day to challenge Israel. And you
0: have heard about the huge reward the king has offered to anyone who kills him. Have you heard about it? The king will give him one of his daughters for a wife. And his whole family will be exempted from paying taxes. This was a tremendous reward. Because you would automatically become part of the king's family. You would live in the king's palace. This reward would be tremendous. David talked to some of the others standing there to verify the report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to this abuse to Israel? See, he saw it as abuse to Israel. The rest of the Israelites just saw it as fear. Who is this pagan Philistine, anyway, that is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And David received the same reply as before. What you have been hearing is true, that is the reward for killing the giant. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the man, he was angry. Now, you've got to picture this. David's like 15 years old. His oldest brother is like 25 in the Israelite army. The older brother didn't want to be bothered by his little brother. And I would also tell you this. I'm sure his younger brother embarrassed him in front of all the men. He's out there asking these goofy questions. So what does he say? He says, what are you doing around here anyway? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your dishonesty. You just want to see a battle. David replied, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. He walked over to some of the others and asked them the same thing. And again, he received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. So isn't that interesting? King Saul sends for this boy who was asking about the reward of the tribute for fighting Goliath. Nobody else was asking about it, but he was asking about it. Now, this is great. David said, don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go fight this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. Saul saw this battle from a human standpoint. David saw it from a spiritual standpoint. Saul replied, there is no way you can go against this Philistine. You are only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted, I've been taking care of my father's sheep, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from his mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine.
1: Man, oh, man, now that's power. And it's not David's power. It's God's power working through David. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. That
0: was like we might say, oh, God bless you. It was a throwaway tagline. He didn't know what to say. Then Saul gave David his own armor. Saul, we have to remember, was a tall man. It says, the Bible says that he sat tall in the saddle and everybody looked up to him and saw him. So his armor would have been large, it would have been uh, strong. Saul was asking David to put on Saul's yoke. He didn't put on, didn't ask him to put on God's yoke, he asked him to put on Saul's yoke, his own yoke. So he gave him his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such a thing before. I can't go in these things, he protested. I'm not used to them. So he took them off again. I wrote this down. I said, this yoke didn't fit properly.
1: It wasn't light like God's yoke. God's yoke fits perfectly. Then, armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started
0: across to fight Goliath. Goliath walked out towards David with a shield bearer in front of him, sneering and in contempt at the ruddy faced boy. Ruddy faced is not red faced. He wasn't a pale boy, he was a dark-complected boy. He'd been out in the sun a lot. He was a weathered boy, he was a good-looking boy.
1: Am I a dog? He roared at David. You can just imagine this. This big bully is talking to
0: this boy and says, am I a boy? I'm sorry, am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come with me at a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath yelled. Now this must have been a sight to see for all of the Israelites. David A 15-year-old boy shouting back to this man. And he said, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The Israelites, all they knew was there was a Philistine on the other side. They miss God. David didn't miss God. And everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give, a, give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, don't you know this just infuriated him? A bully being called out, how dare you? Now he's going to go prove to him that this boy is going to get beat. So as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into the shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it from a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face downward to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and a sling. Now listen to this next part. And since he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill the giant and cut off his head. There's a lot of blood on this man's hand. And if you remember, when they started praising this, the people loved this battle, the Jews, they said, "Kill his, or Saul has killed his hundreds, but David has killed his thousands. David was a warrior king. He was employed by God to be a warrior, to fight for God. Not, not to do God's work, but for him to do what? The work that God's asked him to do. He's asked God. He asked David to take on this yoke. And he did this everywhere that he went, and he was this unbelievable warrior. That was his yoke. That was his role, his burden, if you will. And if he ever took it on himself, that burden became super heavy. But he always seemed to give it to God. And that's why God says, this is David, a man after my own heart. So, um, and I wrote, wrote this down. I said, David was so willing to accept God's yoke, and he was astonished that no one else would fight. When you see things from God's perspective you see a clarity and I say it this way. When I understand what God wants me to do, I know that I know that I know. There's a peace that comes with that that I know that I'm supposed to be doing something regardless of the outcome. God just asked me to do this and this is what it is that you're to do. When you take on God's yoke it fits perfectly and God gives us rest. But we tend to take on our own yoke and our, do what our own way, in our own time, and forget about God. So David had lots and lots and lots of blood on his hands, and that's why God said, you are not going to build my temple because you have this blood on your hand.
1: But what about us? Are we using God's yoke, or have we been trying to use our own?
0: And what happens when you step outside of the will of God? Because that's what you're doing. When we men step outside of the will of God, we are subjecting ourselves to Satan's arrows. Worse yet, we're submitting our wife and our children to Satan's arrows too. We have a burden call. We are to be the father of the family. We are to be the spiritual leader. That is the way that God's made it. Throughout the Bible, there is a way that God does everything. And we are to follow his way, not our way. Culture would say that man is even worse. Men is, are worse than anybody else in the family. Men are the problem. And I would agree because we're not following God. But the culture doesn't want us to follow God. The culture wants us to follow anything else but God. Now I want you to turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And this is about David also. This is the exact same man who killed Goliath. Who had was decided to take on God's yoke and do the things that God's asked him to do, and he had success in everything that he did.
1: 2 Samuel chapter 11. Bear with me as I read this. The following spring, the time of year when kings go to war, David sent
0: Joab and the Israelite army to destroy the Ammonites. We have to understand what's going on. There was a time of the year that countries went to war. and It was springtime. And the kings led their armies in war.
1: And David was to lead his army in war. But he didn't go. He decided to direct his men to go,
0: not to go. David now took off the yoke of God and put on his own yoke? Why would we ever take off the yoke of God and put on our own? And the answer is because we want to. We think we're going to have more pleasure, more blessing, maybe even more sensuality
1: if we do it our way instead of God's way. And we have to remember King David is a warrior king. And he's not going to war. He's decided to put on his own yoke. In the process,
0: they laid siege to the city of Rabbah, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap and went for a stroll on the rooftop palace, or the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent for her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent a message to inform David. Now, i got to tell you, My experience with sin is sin gets us into places that I would never, ever dream that I was going to go. And all David did was take off his yoke of being a warrior. But now he's exposed to Satan's arrows. And so now he's not where he's supposed to be, and he's got idleness. He even took a nap. Then he wakes up from the nap, he's got nothing to do. So he looks out, he goes out onto the rooftop of his palace and looks over and sees this wonderfully beautiful
1: woman. And then he lusts after her, and then he inquires about her, and then he sends for her.
0: The sin just keeps piling on upon itself, all because
1: he took one simple step and took the yoke of God off of him. Men, where are we going? So David sent word to Joab. He found out that Bathsheba's pregnant.
0: So he sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. He told, then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. Now why would David Sent for Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite means that he's not Uriah the Jew. He's not an Israelite. But he's fighting for the Israeli, Israeli army. I would tell you that Uriah had more honor than David did. He had more humility. He had more principles right now
1: than David did. David understands that Bathsheba is pregnant
0: because he did something he wasn't supposed to do. He took another man's
1: wife. And so what do we do when we typically sin? Try to make sure nobody finds out about him. So he brings
0: Uriah the Hittite home, who is a fighter, one of his best fighters, Comes, brings him off the front lines. And says, come home. And he inquires, he acts like he's inquiring about the war. And then says, you know, you've done a great job. I'm going to give you a gift and I want you to spend a couple nights with your your wife. Because if you sleep with her, everyone's going to think that you caused her to be pregnant and not me. And my, guess what, I'm off the hook. Now listen to what Uriah did. But Uriah wouldn't go home. He stayed that night at the palace entrance with some of the king's other servants. When David heard what Uriah had done, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter with you? Why didn't you go home last night after being away with so long? In other words, my plan, my scheme isn't working out. Don't you know who I am? I'm the king. You're supposed to do as I say. Although he wouldn't do what his king was asking. You know, it sounds like us dads at home sometimes. We don't listen to God, but we expect our family to listen to us. So Uriah gave him this awesome answer. He said, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and his officers are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never be guilty of acting like that. You know what David's
1: saying? Uh Uh-oh. I'm so much more guilty than you, but I'm going to cover it up.
0: Well, stay here tonight, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept in the palace entrance. David's plans are being thwarted by God because they're not God's plans. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Now that was not an odd request because he was an unbelievably
1: good warrior. This is odd. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned
0: Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And Uriah was killed along with several several other uh, Israeli soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there uh, would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Gideon's son Abimelech killed? by Tebez, by the woman who threw the millstone down to him, then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed also. In other words, he was preparing this messenger because he thought David would have wrath because some of his men were killed. But his wrath was going to be eased when he finds out that his scheme, his plan to kill Uriah, succeeded. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword kills one, as well as another. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Wow. So I just think that when we decide to go down sin's path, we decide to take off God's yoke and put on ours. It's amazing what we get. So let's review what David got. He took off the yoke. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He slept with Bathsheba. He got her pregnant. He tried to cover it up. He bought, or brought Uriah home. He got Uriah drunk. Then he killed Uriah. I don't think David ever thought, if I do this, this is going to happen. It's kind of like an alcoholic or a drug abuser. They never think that first drink is going to be a problem or that first drug is a problem. No one, I've never heard any drug addict ever say, you know, I'm going to take this drug so I become addicted to it. So I can ruin my life and ruin the lives of everybody else around me. I've never heard anybody say that. But that's what sin gets us. When we go down one place, it's, immediate, it's amazing to me how fast it is. It's slow at first and then it's really quick. And we find ourselves, how in the world did we get here? And that's where David is. How in the world did I get here? But he's still denying the righteousness of God. He still wants to have the control. He still thinks, I can figure it out. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was very displeased with what David had done. Now, we've got to understand the motives of David here. Right now, he didn't bring her to the palace because she was pregnant. He brought her to the palace to show the rest of Israel, his compassion for this soldier's wife that now didn't have anything. He was a liar's liar at this point in his life. You and I are liar liars when we decide to take the yoke of God off of our neck and replace it with our own. So he acted compassionate towards Bathsheba. He cared for her, had her move in with her, He
1: married him. All the ruse to simply still cover up sin. He lied to everyone around him. He lied to himself.
0: You see, when we don't get honest with God, we never get honest with ourselves. Try getting honest with yourself sometime without getting honest with God. It doesn't work. And I'd also tell you, when you get honest with God, it doesn't matter anymore what men say or what men think. You've heard of testimonies of people getting up here and telling what it is that they've gone through and how they've been forgiven and what they've been forgiven for. They're not embarrassed by telling you because they've already made it right with God. And the same thing works in our families. When we decide, men, decide to get right with God about our families, it's amazing what happens. Telling your wife about it isn't as hard anymore because telling God is really hard. He has yet to tell God Anything. Let's read chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. There were two men in the small town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but a little lamb, and he would worked hard to buy. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing a lamb from his own flock for food, he took the poor man's lamb and had it killed and served to his guest. This is the story
1: that Nathan is telling David. Now isn't this interesting? David was furious. You know, have you ever noticed how mad you get at your kids? Because they display the same tendencies you have. David was sure uh, was furious.
0: As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man would do such a thing deserves to die, and he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then David, I'm sorry. Then Nathan said to David, "You are that man." The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you this house and the wives and the kingdoms of Israel and, Jordan, uh, and Judah. And if it had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done such a terrible deed? For you have mar- murdered Uriah and stolen his wife. From this time on, the sword will be a constant threat to your family because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife.
1: Be your own. Now, he is hearing from God through Nathan, Nathan the prophet. He committed this sin of taking off his yoke more than nine months ago. He was dishonest with God for more than nine months. When you're dishonest with
0: God, you never get a blessing. Never. God says that he will never bless sin, but he will always bless obedience. And when we put on God's yoke,
1: and we get underneath his control, his power, his love, it's amazing the blessings that come and come and come. Because of what you've done, I, the Lord, will cause your own
0: household to rebel against you. There's always a consequence for sin. Even when the sin's forgiven, there's always a consequence. So the consequence is is tough. Because of what you have done, the Lord says, I will cause your household to rebel against you. I'll give your wives to another man, and he will go to bed with them in public. You did it secretly, but I will do this to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. Not only is he going to get scorned, he's going to get publicly scorned. David was a leader and he was expected to be underneath God's leadership. Men were leaders in our homes and we're supposed to be under God's leadership. When we step outside of that, we have a mess and there's consequences for that mess. There's forgiveness, but there's consequences.
1: Now, listen to this. Verse 13 it says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It took him nine months to agree with God. During this nine-month period, don't you know that he was fighting?
0: He was fighting everything he could do. All of his plans were being thwarted. Nothing worked. He couldn't even cover up anything that he was doing. He was a mess. I'm sure he wasn't sleeping at night. And if he did sleep, he probably woke up sweating. There's no rest in sin. There's only turmoil in sin. And Nathan replied, yes. Yes. But the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Remember what David said? The punishment should be that that guy who stole that guy's lamb should die. Well, he stole the guy's wife and then killed him. And God said, well, you're not going to die for that sin. But you have given the enemies of the Lord great opportunity to despise and blaspheme me, so your child
1: will die. Oh, man. David's consequence for slipping off God's yoke were huge. Our consequence for slipping off God's yoke is huge. God is just. He never accepts or excuses sin.
0: There's a consequence for sin. But, he does forgive the sin. So, when we are saved, we all enter into this relationship with God. We become God's son, God's daughter, God's child. We
1: never lose that relationship. But, oh, do we mess up the fellowship with God.
0: You know, Reggie White had a great saying, he said, you better humble yourself before
1: God, before he humbles you. So David, by slipping off the yoke, really
0: fell hard. And we've got to remember, this is one sliver of his life. The rest, most of his life was honorable. But this
1: sliver had consequences greater than he could even imagine. Finally, David confesses his sin.
0: Confession requires honesty with God. The word confess means to agree with God. That's all it means. But you realize how hard it is to agree with God when you've been disagreeing with him for nine months? You know, we have a term for that in church; churches called conviction. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we're really, really ugly people when that's going on. Because we are not agreeing with God at that time. We're agreeing with us and telling God to agree with us. And we're really ugly. We're, you know, we're not, we're not friendly. We're not happy. We're not content. We're, we have none of the fruit of the Spirit because we're not doing anything that God's asked us to do. Nine months, David was dishonest with God. So the question is, How long have we been dishonest with God? And I would tell you this goes day to day. I can be honest with him yesterday, but that doesn't mean I'm honest with him today. The longer that conviction goes when I'm dishonest with God, the worse I get. I become a worse dad, a worse father, a worse man. Yet, here we are in America that touts sin, that flaunts it, and says, oh, no, it's okay. You're really not a bad person. You just made a bad choice. Poppycock! The human heart is deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. But there is a plan for us. And the plan is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He died for my past sin, my current sin, my future sin.
1: God is awesome. Okay. Now, turn with me to Psalm 32. By the way, um, I winnowed this, I had so many
0: passages of Scripture. I winnowed it down to, I I finally got it down to like four hours, so we're only going to be here a little while longer. (laughs) Oh boy. Psalm 32, and I want to read verses 3 and 4. But you need to understand the backgrounds of of verses 3 and 4. He wrote this during the time that he did not obey God, when he was not honest with God during this time with Bathsheba. Here's what he said. Oh, I didn't turn there. Verses 3 and 4 says, When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You know, when you go to bed at night, that's supposed to be a time of physical, mental, and spiritual renewal. That's why it is you should pray before you go to bed. You know, have you ever decided, like the radio stations, just to sign off at the end of the night? Say, thank you, God, for all it is that you've given me, and forgive me, Lord, for my sin. And then we get to have spiritual renewal at night. But when we don't do that, we get spiritual congestion at night. And we wake up sweating, we don't get rest at all. It's a place that nobody wants to be, and certainly God doesn't want you to be. But we decided to go there. Because we thought we knew better than God, that we could have more fun, more joy, maybe more sensuality than God could ever give us. What, are we nuts? The answer is yes. Okay. Okay. Stop the nonsense. Get honest with God. Don't do like David did. You know, part of the reason this is here is not for us to point at David and say what an idiot he was. The point of this is to say, you know, what are we doing? Where are we going? Let me read the rest of Psalm 32. This is such a wonderful psalm. And I want to read just 11 verses. Let me read all 11 verses. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. He was anything else but honest up to this point. When he decided to agree with God, he was forgiven, and the joy of being forgiven is phenomenal. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like the water in the summer heat. Again, that's before he decided to confess, before he uh, decided to agree with God, before he decided to get honest with God. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. Even the word here is true, finally. In other words, what took you so long? Do you realize when we sin and we decide not to get honest with God, We're just wasting time.
1: David wasted months. How long are we wasting? Finally, I confessed all my sins to you
0: and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord,
1: and you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone. Therefore, let the godly confess their rebellion to you
0: while there is still time, and that they may not drown in the flood waters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with the, sounds, the songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surround those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All of you who obey him, shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. And our hearts aren't pure because of what we've done. Our hearts are pure because of what Jesus did for us. And I would say this, no matter where we're at with God, get honest with him. No matter what you've done, get honest with him. The reason I love this story about David sleeping with Bathsheba, he did some really, really, really bad things. And sometimes we've done some bad things that we think that no one can forgive them. God can't forgive us those things. But look what he forgave, David. Look what he
1: forgave Saul. God's a forgiving God. But we've got to get honest with him first. He's
0: quick to forgive and restore our fellowship. This is interesting. It took David nine months to quit hiding his sin and confess. And
1: agree with God. And it took only God a second to forgive. Hmm. The Bible says if we say we
0: have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not inside of us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 8-9. Now, we have to understand something about this verse. There's a truth in here that's phenomenal because it says he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. First of all, he said he would forgive our sin.
1: That's the faithful part. He's just in forgiving it because he said he would forgive it. It's that simple.
0: God's always simple. It just ain't easy. We make it so hard. Men, we're destroying our families. Look around America. America. And you'll see it that way. And how is it that we're going to be a light into the world when we can't even be a light to our own families? How is God blessing us if we're not going to obey him? He's not. You know what we get? We get the same turmoil that that David got. Don't sleep at night. You're, 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 You're a mess. Now, remember how joyful David was after he confessed. He just talked about the joy. It was like everything being lifted from him. You, that's that mountaintop experience that typically you get from going after going down in the valley. You know, the prodigal son is one of my favorite stories. The prodigal son decided to leave his home, all of his protection, and decided to go and have, you know, spend all of his inheritance on wine, woman, and song,
1: drug, sex, and rock and roll. He decided to get in the pig pen, but he discovered something. He wasn't a pig.
0: He was a son. His relationship never changed. And he decided to get out of that when the Holy Spirit convicted him and understood how good he had it and he didn't even realize it. And then when he went back, his father was waiting for him and that fellowship was restored. But the relationship was never lost. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says, so humble yourselves before God. Roman preached about this last week. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. We're all sinners.
1: Wash your hands in Christ's blood. Purify your hearts, you hypocrite.
0: We're hypocrites. Because we say we don't sin or we act like we don't sin. We put on a facade. God knows we're sinning. Let there be tears for the wrongs you have done. Let there be sorrow instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. When you bow down before God, before the Lord, and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. And that's exactly what David felt and he knew when he said, Oh, what joy that I have once I finally confess my sin. That was uh, James 4, 7 through 10. Men and fathers, it all starts with us. You know, even in the Old Testament, with Joshua, he made a great declaration. His declaration was, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it starts with me. It starts with us men. It starts with us husbands. It starts with us dads. It starts with us men.
1: As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't start with your wife. It starts with you. Scott, if you'll come. We're going to have a time of prayer.
0: But while we're praying, I'd like Vonda to play. I don't want to sing during this time. But I want a time for each of us men to pray. To just get
1: honest with God.
0: This is a time of healing. We need to get honest with God. So, men, I want you to pray and ask forgiveness of God. The longer we put it off, the longer the frustration we have. And women, I want you to pray for your family. I want you to pray for your husband. If you don't have a husband, pray for men. God's called men to a special place. He's called women to a special place. But this sermon is for the men. So let's sit and pray for a minute, just quietly talking to God. Let's just pray. Oh, Father, I'm a sinner. Thank you for redeeming me. Lord, I pray that my fellowship with you is restored. And Lord, that the fellowship with my wife and my kids is restored to the place where you want it to. Lord, you're so gracious. You're so full of mercy and love. Lord, thank you for the relationship that we have, that, I, that you died for me so I could become a child of God. Oh, Lord, help us restore the relationship. We can't do it on our own, and we can only come to you by getting honest with you. Oh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In your name we pray.
1: Amen.